0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Colby cast on this episode Ross Hollabin and I are going to share our thoughts on the first two episodes of House of the Dragon on HBO Max. Welcome back to the
1: show Ross Colby always great to be here. Uh, you know, it, it's fun to listen when I'm not here you and the boys do a great job and everyone else that you have a uh, parading in and out as we hit everything that is pop culture and entertainment. It's super fun
0: the rogue's gallery of colby's internet friends <laughs> well i love having you on the show and i'm so glad that you're back and i'm really looking forward to our topic tonight because it's really your fault that i'm watching this in the first place but before I, we I get am to happy that to
1: take, i am happy to take the blame on that and i'm excited <laughs> that you're doing it
0: Yes, you've opened up a whole new window into pop culture for me. Uh, So I'm glad. I'm really glad about that. But before we get there, I actually I have two big announcements that I wanted to make. And and the first one is that this is actually the 50th episode of the
1: Colby cast. Congratulations. That's awesome, man.
0: The time has flown by. It's only been, you know what, since March, uh, late March. And uh, that's what happens when you put out two episodes a week, right? (laughs)
1: That and that's a lot of work. Like, and that's dedication. And anyone who does any podcasting knows how much work it is. So thank you for caring so much. And, you know, the boys as well and how much they're contributing and and being regular contributors. Like it's super fun to see. And I I'm especially excited for you all and what it'll be like five years from now. (laughs) When you're just like, man, remember when we were talking about this and that and just kicking this thing off. Like it's super fun and I'm glad you're doing it with the family that way.
0: Well, you hit the nail on the head because that's what I was gonna say too. This has been so much fun. Uh, you know, the boys have been such a huge part of it. Caleb and Luke have been so generous with their time and they're so much fun, you know, to talk to anyway, right? And I get the I get the chance to sit there and Talk to them all the time, but you know, recording it and putting it out there for people to enjoy as well is special. And it's also nice to have, sort of, you know, we're documenting some of these fun conversations that we have, which is unique and something that I really hadn't thought would ever happen. You know, two, three, four years before, so uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's fun looking back just to see how much has changed, even in the the first fifty episodes. So you're right. What's going to be happening in the next five years? It's um, it's it's a fun milestone, and and I appreciate. All of the support that everyone has given me, like yourself, and so many others that help promote the show on social media, and that have come on and talked to me, and it's just uh, something that I look forward to doing all the time, and continue to look forward to to doing uh, on the, for the foreseeable future. Uh, but the other big uh, um, announcement, and maybe even bigger than that, is that tonight's beverage that I'm drinking in this big massive cup is a is a cup of iced coffee, and it's got international delight pumpkin pie spice flavored creamer in it and for me that's a big deal because that means fall is right around the corner and it's only going to get to be about 95 degrees in southern california rather than 105 degrees but yes the pumpkin pie spice iced coffee is on is on deck tonight and i'm enjoying so go ahead and feel free to share your thoughts while i take a sip
1: wow and that that's even prior to september beginning that's a, that's a big start. And I'm like, while mine is not pumpkin. I have an orange can and this is something that Tom gross and I were both able to enjoy when he was here for Gen Con. Um, sun King is a local Indianapolis brewery and I have an orange vanilla sunlight cream ale. That sounds delicious. And it looks or it, it smells, looks and tastes like a creamsicle oh so when it's hot out it is like the best beer like that gen con day it was pretty hot out and we went out there and i i took a sip and i was just like man this is just the creamsicle is staying here with me so (laughs) this is uh you know we've we've got our orange powered uh drinks going this evening so congratulations and cheers
0: we didn't even coordinate that, right? That's um, that's tremendous. Yes. So cheers, right back at you from two thousand miles away. <laughs> uh, Tom, Mister Tom Gross, certainly knows his uh, his his brews. Uh, so I'm sure you know you guys had a wonderful time sitting down and throwing a few back. So shout out to Tom. Hope he's doing great out there. All right. So now on to House of the Dragon, and like I said. Um, you are the reason why this is happening. You, it, would, it just took one text message, so I'm not going to say that it, you had to try too hard. But I just to show just to show everybody and to explain to you where I am at with Game of Thrones is I've seen one episode of. However, many is it eight nine seasons That Game of Thrones existed?
1: I believe it was eight.
0: Eight. Okay, so eight seasons. I've seen one episode, and that episode, ironically, was the finale. <laughs>
1: Yeah, which is, I, I'll just call it controversial. Uh, I'll leave it at that.
0: Interesting, because I was going to ask you about it, but uh, we'll get to that because I do know that it was controversial. And I hadn't seen one second of the show. I knew it was a phenomenon. The only reason I hadn't watched it because we simply didn't have HBO through like the first four or five seasons. And, you know, once you get access to a show that big and that dense, it wasn't something that was really on my radar to try to catch up on, but we had family members that were over on the day that the episode, the, fina- the finale dropped, so we all sort of had an a impromptu watch party for it, and there we were, my wife and I, sitting there watching this finale and not understanding one bit, and to be quite honest, I don't remember a second of it, but what I do remember is that it was very, very controversial. So where do you stand in that, uh, if you don't mind sharing? how? What was your experience with Game of Thrones what was your entry point did you read the books did you like the finale tell me about your experience with Game of Thrones
1: I actually hadn't watched the first season as it came out I didn't start watching until the second season Um, I was I think as that was happening I was moving from San Diego back to Maryland Mm -hmm. so it was just something where just like okay I'm getting completely resituated everything's occurring so it was just like something that wasn't on my radar and I worked with a couple people that were just like how are you not watching this <laughs> like just I, I mean I put out the nerd vibe wherever I go so they know like <laughs> you've got to be into dragons and stuff if you're that big into Star Wars and Marvel so um I put it on and then next thing you know it's it's one of those things where I'm going into the the guest bedroom and watching four episodes in a row and all of a sudden I'm realizing it's like three thirty in the morning. and I have to work <laughs> in the morning. I'm just like, man, I got to go to bed. And I was like, but I can squeeze in one more, <laughs> you know, just pounding them to, to catch up. And I think I was caught up by season four and then was just able to watch moving forward. Um, but I love what they did. I love the characters they developed, the world that George R. R. Martin put together. Um, yeah, you know, and it it's relative. Like it's it's that world building that we love from Star Wars, that we love from Harry Potter, that you know from the the Marvel comics and into the MCU. It it it's someone putting just all this creativity and passion into it, and we reap the benefit of that and being able to watch it and just consume and and really enjoy it. I've still not read any of it. Everything that I've done has been. Relative to the shows on HBO, did you
0: read the books? You 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 didn't read any of those books, so it's all not. it's all the show. So, okay, Correct. yeah, because and it's funny because I, so I didn't watch the show, uh, didn't catch up anything like what you just said, but I would because it was such a massive phenomenon. Because it was at the time when it was really at its peak, it was, I mean, arguably the biggest franchise at the time right yeah. um i don't know this the actual years that we're talking about of when it started and when it ended but i know that it w- hasn't been that long since it's been away so of course it's sort of intersected with the resurgence of star wars It sort of ran co- uh congruent with marvel and the mcu g- getting larger and larger arguably those are the largest franchises in the world but i think game of thrones and this is coming from an um you know, a newer person who's getting into this world. Uh, I, from at least from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like it was just as big as either one of those two properties with star Wars or the MCU. Um, it was, it's a pop culture phenomenon. It really is. Um, so it's interesting to have you on the show and me because our positions are going to be quite different because as I said, I'm brand new to this, right? I got that text message from you, uh, and all it said was House of the dragon question mark. And I knew it was coming. I saw I didn't see any of the trailers. I saw you know some of the hype right and that this is on its way. Uh, I saw the, the momentum sort of building and aware that it was coming out. But I honestly didn't even know that an episode had dropped when you sent me that text message. Um, just because, again, it's a Game of Thrones thing. I even responded to your message, right? I said, "Do I need to have watched Game of Thrones to enjoy this?" And and thankfully, you said, "No, it's a prequel, so it's a good entry point." Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. All I know about Game of Thrones really is that there were some little tiny dragons. There's some White Walkers. Um, there was something called a Red Wedding. Right? Was that something that happened?
1: Yeah there there were tentpole events in that. I know I know yeah. the word Hodor for a reason, but I don't yeah. know why I know that. Oh, uh, when you do know it, I, I'll be so <laughs> excited when you do know it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just one of those times where it's just like, no way. Yeah, um, and it, it
0: sees fun. that. I mean, those things became a part of the Zeitgeist, right? When those were, and so that's a real a real. Um, uh, indication of how big that that show got so i said you know what i'm gonna give it a try i had i had some time in the morning and i watched the first episode of um of house of the dragon and we're gonna get into a couple of the episodes here now but i have one question before we do that um since you had magical powers and got me to watch it i want to hear you give a pitch to anybody who might be listening why should they listen why should they watch house of the
1: dragon i'm going to say it's rich storytelling with a just ensemble of characters that run the gamut and every one of them is at odds with themselves trying to figure out what they should do next mm-hmm. in almost any given situation So it is, it's tense. It's not, if you're looking to kick back and have a good time, you know, you're probably going to want to go somewhere else. Um, but this is, you know, political intrigue, you know, Shakespearean style. Um, you're, you're thinking back to that and just the, the costumes are gorgeous. The music is wonderful. The, the magical elements are fantastic. But when it boils down to it and like with the all the best storytelling, it's that it's that human vibe. It's that human suffering and that human celebration and how they bring that out through the storytelling with these gifted actors. And, you know, it, it, it's just fun. Like you you get into it. It is it's not like a regular piece of pie. It is like the densest cheesecake you could have.
0: okay so we're just gonna we have to get into the episodes here now because you're using words that are that are just they're hitting right where i want them to hit because those are the words i was going to use to start to describe what i saw in from the from the get-go so let's just do it let's get into um we'll start out with episode one so from this point on if you haven't watched house of the dragon Stop listening because we're going to get into spoilers potentially, uh, and then go check it out and then come back and listen to the episode. Um, I have notes <laughs> written down just of impressions, and I don't necessarily want to go through the um, the episodes, you know, beat by beat and talk about uh, what people have already seen. I just want to hear your thoughts on anything. Anything, honestly, anything. So let's start out with just your general impressions of of episode one um, of House of the Dragon.
1: Yeah, I'll say it it picks up with the true DNA from Game of Thrones. It, it, there's that richness to it, like I mentioned. There's you know just seeing the armor that's coming out, the weapons that people have, the the furniture in the castle, the the candelabras that are just you know, they are literally on fire. It's not like a candle. It is like a a mass of flame hanging from the ceiling that that's how they're reading. Um, the Small council chambers, seeing seeing the Iron Throne in a younger version um, that you won't have known the, the other version of it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of how it's laid out in the throne room, all of it is... Wonderful, and it like it builds off the same stories. Like I, I, it's, it's that who can you trust? What is happening? You know, as they're trying to figure out, we're getting back to back stories of who is the appropriate heir for the throne, and people making their pitch to be a part of it, but you know, everyone trying to keep it in the family, trying to keep the bloodline as pure as possible. Playing the political game of, hey, this, this would be good for us if you did this, or this would be great for you if you did this. And it's all of that intrigue. It's all of that, you know, it's that game of risk, you know, that you're playing and trying to outsmart everyone and be steps ahead. And who can you trust?
0: Yeah. And 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 I'm quickly learning that the answer to that question is no one. <laughs> Very wise. And Very wise. I, I, yeah, uh, intense. You you mentioned the word dense, and I wrote that in my notes too. This is dense storytelling. There is nothing light and surface level about any of this. And you can tell from the get go, right off of that, that, um, I'm, I, I apologize, I'm not going to get the phrase, phraseology correct, but it was the, the, that big council meeting that the first king, um, called to determine his heir. right off the bat you're right you see real physical sets you see I, i don't know how much of how many of those people were if any of them were cgi or matte painting or what the deal was with them but it seemed like there were just thousands of real people sitting in a massive room that almost looked like ruins and you you I almost felt like I had. I, I turned on the, the subtitles, which I usually won't do on a first viewing of something because sometimes they distract me uh, away from the visuals. I'll, I'll focus too much on the words to make sure I'm catching things. I'll do that on a second or a third watch of something if I'm watching like a She-Hulk or a or um, you know The Mandalorian or Book of mm-hmm. Something like that. Um, but first viewings, I usually like to turn them off. But I had to turn them on because I felt like I was going to miss something. And really, right off the bat, you knew there's going to be (laughs) names and you need to keep track of these names and who these people are and who they are to each other, because it's all going to be important. And I was just so impressed because at, with that being said, I didn't feel overwhelmed and I usually would feel overwhelmed by something like that. If you're walking into a massive world and you're having to keep track and keep up with all of these things they were able to do it in a way that I didn't feel was overwhelming. It was almost engaging, and I I wanted to make sure that I was up on it so that I could catch up with and keep up with the intrigue. Uh, And boy, (laughs) that episode pulled no punches. Pulled no punches. And I and I do know that Game of Thrones and the, the franchise has a reputation for being extremely mature, very graphic, very violent. So I was prepared for that. But, man, oh, man, that was a, a – as you said, it sort of is like the DNA of Game of Thrones. And boy, was it. I mean, it didn't pull punches in any way, shape, or form. Um, and, I, and I thought it was funny because as we were going through the episode – I don't know a lot about these things, but I could see things in the episode that I knew meant things to Game of Thrones fan. Yeah. Uh, the dagger in the king's belt, the conversation where the girls were talking about the history and they were next to a tree that had a face. And I looked at them and I'm just like, "What? there's a face on that tree? Why isn't it talking? <laughs> and and I know it means something. And I don't need to know why or what, but I just know it's there for a reason. And I was so impressed. With that and and as you touched on as well the characters the acting the writing the production value off the charts it really is is just off the charts well in a very memorable um episode was there a scene or a couple scenes or anything that stuck out to you as particularly memorable something that stood out above above the rest of the episode just for episode one right now
1: I think getting getting dragons right away especially with the Targaryens like that is you know that that becomes it, it didn't happen immediately in Game of Thrones so learning the history as that show went on and that series continued but here seeing it immediately and being like oh yeah these are the Targaryens you know from the from their white hair pulled back you know their extremely light hair and the dragons and everything associated with that but then it you know just kind of the the brutality mm. you know the jousting was such vivid raw sometimes disgusting mm. action like in the best way possible of just like man this is it it's really raw and they didn't They didn't hide anything. It's just like, hey, this is how brutal it was. So I love when there is that truth to history to some extent, you know, like this is fiction. But all of that with the knights, with jousting, with fights, you know, it was brutal hand to hand combat as well. Um, And just seeing how everyone's always staking a claim and everyone's always trying to improve on where they are no matter what the cost and you see that at so many different levels
0: i'm glad you brought up the joust scene because that was going to be my standout scene Uh, but it's not just the joust scene right because that was intercut with the birth scene and holy smokes if if you needed one scene to explain to somebody the um, graphic nature and the vivid storytelling of game of thrones and house of the dragon that's the scene to to watch right i would imagine so i was horrified horrified and it's interesting because and i i was horrified because of the message that was coming through as much as the graphic storytelling that the visual storytelling that we were getting because you can and I think even the directors of the, of the episode and of the show spoke to this. And I was glad that they did, because they didn't do it in a shallow or, va- or, or vain way. It was for a purpose. The visuals of those scenes, of those two intercutting scenes, was as much a part of the story that they were trying to tell as the words that were being spoken or the story that was moving through just the absolute impossible decision that King Viserys has to make. Number one, the unbelievably gutless way that they, that they carried out that decision, Mm -hmm. just the, the brutality of the way that they treated the queen was juxtaposed against the violent graphic nature of what we were watching. Right. So it's not just about the shock value of seeing, you know, God forbid, I don't even like saying it, but seeing a woman's stomach being cut open and a baby literally being yanked out of her stomach while she's screaming and yelling and fighting. Right. That's one thing to do, but they're doing it for a reason because of the culture, the patriarchy, the sexism, the, the terrible and graphic undertones of the world that we're watching the story in. And then you juxtapose that against the jousting scene, which was sort of in my, in my mind, it was almost like hubris of of King Viserys to do this right. right? While, Oh, you know, my heir is about to be born. We're going to throw this big party and I'm going to, we're going to show off how strong and violent we are. And just to see those two things going back and forth but what is so striking to me is that it wasn't, um, it it wasn't. The word is 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 avoiding my brain and my mouth right now. It, it wasn't. Um, it was for a purpose. It wasn't uh, purposeless in it. Right. In its in the way that they showed us these things, they did it for a reason, and it was to prove a point. And I thought that that was. Wow! What an introduction to Game of Thrones for somebody new like myself, but also to see this new um, story and this new family and this new world that we are, even for veterans like yourself, getting introduced to this—you know, 172 years before the fact.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think it's very interesting, you know, kind of especially, and I, I'm, I'm sure this impacted the writers some. Like there's the the Grand Maester and the medicine of the time is you know a lot's coming up of hey we think this might work this might yeah we just went through a lot of things in our own current timeline of <laughs> you know and and still going through it where it's just like we're trying to figure out the science of things so yep. they're trying to do the same things hey here are your best odds to rescue your son to save your son you know you're likely to to lose the queen regardless yeah and it's it's tragic. I, I don't think that I don't feel that King Viserys, you know, I feel like he very much loved her, but he's in this tough spot of, and, and they get more into this in this, in the second episode, but it's his job to make sure he has someone to take over the throne next. So yeah, it, it just, again, it just, it tears at the, at the fiber of these individuals As they know their responsibility to the kingdom, but they're having to give up their humanity in the process to, to fulfill these, you know, these rules that have been set.
0: It's a, it's, it's brilliant. It's really brilliant storytelling. Exactly what you said, because I, I want to get to characters. We're, we're, we're going to get to uh, episode two now. Uh, so we, but after we talk about episode two, I, I want to focus in on characters specifically because I love the way that you just highlighted how it's these individuals that are having to make these decisions for for um, much greater stakes. Their the ramifications of their decisions are literally for this world that we're in. Earth-shaking, sh- earth right? The one decision is going to change the course of history, but it's all because of these individuals. And I think that they did such a brilliant job in episode one of sort of setting that tone and showing us the importance of the individual um, going forward. So let's go forward and let's talk about episode two again. Just your impressions of it. Um, but I think uh, you know we mentioned this before we started recording. But for me, episode two. I was just tense from the from the beginning of the well, as soon as I hit play and the first image pops up on the on the screen I was just tense and I don't mind that I like that it's it's good storytelling you just you never knew what was going to happen from scene to scene to scene and this was sort of it was a much quieter episode than that first one there was a lot of dialogue a lot of exposition a lot of chess playing and it was just tense from the get go. It was a slow burn, but it wasn't slow. Right? It was intriguing. Um, and and I'll just leave you with this thought, and then I want to hear what you have to say about episode two. But Rhaenyra is a boss. She is a yeah. boss, and I can't wait to hear and see what what's going to come from this character. So, what about you? How did you like episode two?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Same thing. It is you know, just building off of it. Like, I, I feel like I'm getting back into it again. The the way that game of Thrones ended left a lot of people just like, wait a minute, what just happened here? <laughs> and now it is, you know, it, it's, I've been wanting to be pulled back in, you know, mm-hmm. just because like where that left me and I know a lot of fans, um, but now how they're getting into it and just the the depths and and not waiting around for anything like that's that's one of the best parts of all the Game of Thrones season, regardless of whether you like certain things or not. They went after it all yeah. the time and it's building in and building in. And the interesting part here is everything is at everything's at the kingdom right now for the most part, like we finally leave a little bit during this episode. And that's what really got interesting about game of Thrones is all of a sudden they would introduce a new place and you're like, Ooh, how did they factor <laughs> into this? Now or you, you get a quick introduction, then you may not see them again for a few episodes. And it's just right. like, wait a second. I thought what happened to these people? Yeah, And then it came back in. So it is, it's that quilt and all of those pieces tying together. Like it, it's, it, it's like the most visually delicious lasagna that you're ever gonna see with all the layers and the and the everything melding together to to complete this tale. So as this episode occur occurred and uh, Princess Rana, as, as she's going and, and she becomes she knows what has to happen. She's all about action. She's not suffering the same. Uh, paralysis from analysis that the small council is because she's just doing in her mind what's the right thing to do where everyone else is is gauging how's this going to impact shipping how's this going to impact this relationship with that group far away how so many business interests and you know not like a ruling group or or congress or anything like that would ever allow the right thing to not happen because they're tied up with other things that they owe but (laughs) you know it's kind of occurring in this show
0: yeah i thought it was a cool way that they showed us that too when she was tasked with choosing uh the knight right to uh head up the um the knight um the king's guard and that was really interesting because the knights that they were bringing up um, you know, they didn't look like the toughest dudes out there, right? They clearly hadn't seen battle, which was uh, an important point for the show to make for what um, Renero was doing. And then she she wanted nothing to do with that. She yep. wanted to see somebody that was going to be able to protect her father. And they brought up that one guy, and she ended up choosing him. He he had seen real battle, and then she was she got pushback from the hand, right? From mm-hmm. the, uh, it was Otto, right? Otto Hightower. Yeah. Uh, and his reasoning was, oh, but this knight is from this family and this knight is from this family and these families are important and you're going to need to consider this and that. And she, all she was concerned about was who was going to be able to protect her father, which was the primary role of a knight.
1: And yeah. and, and that she wasn't going to be
0: dissuaded from that.
1: Sir Kristen Cole. So he was right. also the one that fought Damon Targaryen in the joust and the joust and beat him on the joust. So yes, you know, that, that combo, as we saw in episode two is not going away and that is going to remain. And I'll take a step back here. Loving Matt Smith as Dr. Who. um, I think he's been fantastic through these two episodes. Like I I love the character that he's playing as Damon and Mm. you know, he's vile and, but he's in his mind, it's justified. And that is that is the scary thing.
0: Let's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to hit pause on that because we are definitely going to be getting to Damon Targaryen. He's going to get his moment to shine here momentarily, but I like that you brought up this. This will be the last thing I want to talk about with episode two, and then we'll get into characters. Um, I like that you brought up the connection with Kristen Cole and Damon, right? Because we got to, we already got to see a little bit of what's to come on the bridge, which in an episode of what I felt was just stellar, stellar storytelling. The bridge scene to me was what stood out. I loved it. I loved the visuals of it. Just the, again, the, the tense atmosphere They're on this bridge. It reminded me of, you know, Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, right? Which is one of the greatest scenes, I think, in cinema was that scene. Unbelievable. But this was akin to that, right? You had these two opposing forces on each side of this bridge. There's nowhere to go. And then all of a sudden, this massive red dragon comes out and in this show of force. And, you know, the Targaryens, or at least the, the, the coalition of the king, they didn't look like they were in very good shape at that point. But here comes Rhaenyra, right? And I and I don't know the dragon's name. An is,
1: unsanctioned Rhaenyra showing up. Right.
0: Again, doing what she knows to be right and cutting through all the BS, if we want to say it that way, and just preserving. She literally saved people's lives by doing something she was not supposed to do. And again, that's why she's a boss. She is just, I'm going to do what I feel is right because she can, I don't know if... I don't know. You know, I know that there's a um, a uh, a you know like sort of a magic element to Game of Thrones. I know that there's uh, that kind of thing. So I don't know if she's got a gift or if she's just that attuned to what's going on politically. But she's got it, right? She comes swooping in on her dragon. I loved how she flew right next, right up and and around. Damon's dragon and then she lands right she just makes a big circle around everybody and she lands and then she goes and she settles the dispute with diplomacy with words after showing that force she didn't have to use it because she then went in and she used her intellect she used her relationship with her uncle and i thought that that was brilliant
1: absolutely and i mean just her her approach of you know she she split the proverbial red sea Of her soldiers saying, guys, move aside. I'm going to take care of this. Yeah. You know, everyone's just having this, you know, who's bigger contest going on. (laughs) It's like, I'm going to step in. I'm going to use our native tongue. My uncle and I are going to go through this. You know, but she had a chip on her shoulder because that was the dragon egg that she had chosen for her for her brother. Yeah. So you know, again, that family tie. Like, the brother is stronger than the uncle. So, uh, she has a very good relationship or good understanding with Damon as her uncle. Um, and I think that complicates it so much more, but it allows them to play a little bit more mind games together of, I know she's going to do this, I know he's going to do this, and I don't think at the end of the day, either of them want to hurt each other. But again, they're put in a role of, I have to do this.
0: It's a perfect segue because let's talk about Damon. Let's get, let's get into the here. We'll hit, we'll hit the unpause button back on play uh, and, and we'll get into the characters specifics. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a, a handful of characters written down and let's, let's take the rest of the time just to talk about them because the characters in this show after only two episodes are so rich there's so much to say about them, and what a really, I, I'm having trouble coming up with other properties that you can say the same thing about after having known a character for such a little amount of time. I mean, essentially, what we have is a is a movie, right? Because both of these episodes are about an hour, so okay, we have a, a movie with these characters. So sure, you're going to learn a good amount ab- about characters in a two-hour movie, but this is a two hours of what. I don't know how many episodes we have waiting for us. Eight, nine, ten. I'm not sure. I don't even know if they've announced it. But we know that this is just the beginning chapters of a long story. So to know what we know already about these characters is just another testament to the excellent storytelling that these these people have put together. So tell me more about Damon. Let me hear some of your thoughts about Matt Smith and Damon Targaryen.
1: Yeah, he he's the wild card. You know, he has He's been out gaining experience. He doesn't want to be at court. He's the, you know, he wants to experience things. He wants to get in similar to Renera and how she wants to get out and experience things. They're young, restless spirits. Like they're, they're, they're fueled with dragon blood. You know, they want to be out doing things and he's been out there. He's fought, he's led, um, he's talented. He's cocky. He's arrogant. Um, you know, he, he's privileged, but mm-hmm. he, he has pushed himself in so many ways. And with the people he surrounds himself with and the things that he's done in his mind, he expects to be King, yeah. you know, and that's probably all that's in his mind. It's just like, keep gaining these experiences because I'm going to need them when I'm king. And I'm going to rule with thumbs down on people as he showed with, you know, in episode one with the attack on the town. Yep. Um, and putting the lawless elements to task. Yeah. So he's not very forgiving. He's going to go after what he wants to go after. And, you know, his, his morality is, I think it's probably the question a lot of times, like, should I be doing this or should I be doing that? He doesn't care what anyone thinks. So he's going to do what he wants to do.
0: He's perplexing. He's problematic, right? I mean, all these, all uh, how many words have we just used to describe this character? I mean, and, and he's had, poof, he, he, he's had a, a decent amount of screen time, but not nearly the most right he he's I wouldn't even I don't know if he's been on the screen more than Otto Hightower right or or you know he's every scene he's in though carries a gravitas and a weight to it that you don't know w- where this is going to go he's a can of worms that I can't wait to see opened because I think it's just going to be
1: it's going to be chaos it, yeah, he's going to be the first time, time we see him he's sitting on the Iron Throne <laughs> You know, and his niece is just like, hey, you'll never get a chance to be on there if you're killed for treason ahead of time. And he's just like, whatever, (laughs) this is this is going to be mine eventually.
0: He's brash. Right. He's and it's that kind of thing that that in his mind allows him to go sit on the Iron Throne. Oh, man. And what makes him you you uh, referred to it before. What makes him such an interesting character is that he isn't all bad. He clearly loves his brother. He wants to do what he feels is right for the kingdom, for Viserys. His right, though, just doesn't line up with other people's version of what is right as well. And there's the rub, right? That's why it's going to be not just an exciting story with cool dragons and sword fights, but also heartbreaking. It's, it could end up, and I don't know where we're going, but it could, it's, it's the makings of a civil war. Mm -hmm. And they made sure that they introduced the theme very, very early on uh, in the first episode, which was the only thing that can take down House Targaryen is itself. And basically that's telling the viewer, you know, tie your shoes tight because we're going to get into some really um, crazy stuff. So let's talk about a little bit about Viserys, though, because I think he's a really interesting character, too. Um, he is, I mean, obviously he's the King. So he's the one that's got a very, if not the most difficult job out there, he's got to make the decisions that, that other people don't have to make. And they don't, they have the freedom of deferring to him. Um, I look at him as, as really complicated. He, he seems quite complicated and he, he's not a cutthroat King. He seems to have a, a very human side to him. And I think that many around him perceive him as weak because of it. Um, But I don't think he's weak. And he showed everybody that in the birth scene, a weak person doesn't make the decision that he made and allow what happened to happen in that scene. Um, And and to hold
1: her hand. Yeah. Like, again, could he have handled it better? Probably, Mm -hmm. but he didn't run and hide and have someone else do it. Like he started it and owned it, and I, I mean, I think it's going to unravel him. I think that decision is just going to eat at him uh, until we no longer have him.
0: Yeah, and you know what else is going to eat at him? These wounds that don't seem to be healing, Uh, and I think it's so telling and very, very, oh, it's just so, um, it's juicy storytelling that the throne that he's sitting on continues to injure him. Right. The first episode we see he's got sores and injuries on his back uh, and they make I, at least I understood it to mean that the, that they were caused by the Iron Throne. And then we see him sitting on the Iron Throne when when they're going through Rhaenyra's, uh ceremony and it shows that it cuts his finger. That finger hasn't healed six months later to the point where he's having maggots eat the dead flesh off of it to right. hopefully save it. He's in trouble. And I mean, he's in trouble physically because it seems like, I mean, how poetic is that? That the throne is literally killing him or could literally kill him.
1: Yeah. And especially as you have the thrones made up of all these swords and it is, you know, this aggressive nature where who he is is so much more. As you mentioned, he's level headed. He's very altruistic. He wants what's best for his people as much as possible. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily want to confront people. He will as the King and he has shown that, but at the same time, he'd much rather things work out of their own accord and let people work it into a positive space. And like Mm -hmm. even pointing out, you know, as, as Damon's taking shots at Hightower, he's like, why do you empower him like this? You know, like one of his greatest thrills is just getting a rise out of you. Yeah. You know, and it's almost like talking, talking to two. I mean, you've got two sons. I grew up with brothers. Like, yeah, it's that thing of, okay, who's who's needling who? And are (laughs) you you getting a rise out of someone like some people super enjoy that? Like, that's not my style to do that. I want everyone to feel comfortable, but I know people who just like they enjoy that. They it's
0: literally that. a way that people communicate. That's it, some people. And again, I, I am not that way like you, but that is a way that people communicate. And Otto Hightower doesn't understand that. And he looks at it as a threat to the king when really it's just Damon being Damon. But I'm glad you brought up Otto Hightower because let's talk about the Hightowers, Otto and his daughter Alicent. So a similarity where the fact that the mother of that family has been lost. Um, to me, Otto Hightower, as the kids say nowadays, is sus. That guy is the least trustworthy of the bunch, in my opinion. Of course he's the hand. Of course he's the right hand of the king. And he is hes playing that game. He's playing that chess. That's why he sent his daughter to the king when the, when the queen died. He is he's making those moves that have now paid off because now the king has announced that he is going to marry Alicent. Otto Hightower is fine. He is what he is. I don't find him nearly as interesting as Alicent because Alicent, best friend of Rhaenyra, similarly aged. I can't tell if she's just being a genuinely nice person and going to the king to help comfort and obeying father's orders or if she is secretly thinking that you know this is going to be good for me so I'm going to I'm going to do this you know is she, is she is she almost secretly ambitious I don't know I can't tell yet we can tell that she's kind we can tell that she's obedient to her father she's dutiful but there could be a possibility of her being secretly ambitious because things have certainly broken her way. And if there's one thing I know for sure is that she, I would say she wasn't the best friend to Rhaenyra.
1: Yeah. It, it it becomes very interesting with that relationship. And that that's, again, it's painting Ranera in a corner where she's going to feel like everyone is against her. Like her uncle wants the throne from this side, you know, outside of things, her best friend, Um, and I don't know if she would be considered like a a chambermaid or something like that. Yeah, uh, for her, you know, has just been secretly getting to know her father, and is all of a sudden going to become her stepmom. Yeah, and queen. (laughs) So it's just like, oh, you know, have it have a day there, Venera. (laughs) Yeah, you you you've you've rescued some things, but the hits are going to keep coming. And I think it's going to be interesting with Allison and what you talked about. If she is in on this, she might be safer because Mm -hmm. if she's, if she is the kind, caring person, this whole thing may tear her apart as well, because it's about to get extremely rough. And I mean, we don't know if she knows the ailments he's dealing with that Viserys is dealing with as well. So she may have no idea what she's getting into. And it's just like, you know, I, I feel like she was doing the right thing and the kind thing by by getting the mold of the dragon put back together. And I don't think sure. she was doing that like, oh, if I if I fix this, I'll call it a toy. It's not a toy. If I get the <laughs> toy fixed for him, you know, he might make me the queen. Yeah. You know, I don't think that was her motive there. It was just, like, oh, here's something I can do. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's who she is, but power changes people. Yeah. So we'll see what that does. And especially with her father, who's been called out by Damon, who's been called out by other members of the small council as, you know, especially, uh, uh, Lord Corlys Velaryon, who uh-huh. they wanted his daughter to marry the King. You know, yep. and that was kind of gross at twelve years old. Um, very strange, but whoa, what a great what a great actor she was. Oh, um, yeah. In that scene walking along with the king. Um but just seeing how this is all again, we're only two episodes in. I believe it's a ten episode season. Um and they pack so much into every episode that who knows where we're gonna be eight episodes from now. But I, I'm loving where it is two episodes in.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad that you brought up uh, Corliss, um, Valerian and, and, uh, his wife, Rayness, the queen who never was right. Uh, yeah. that was, those are the last two. That's the last family I wanted to touch on. So we can, we can finish up, uh, with them because they're clearly going to be a big part of things going forward, at least in the foreseeable future, because of that final scene where we see Corliss in a room talking with Damon, uh, talking about we're the second sons. Everything that uh, I, I actually, I wrote down a paraphrase of it where he said, worth is not given our worth. He was specifically making it about him and Damon where he said, our worth is not given, it must be made. So talk about ambition, right? And and that's how he has grown to power. But not only has he is he a powerful person in a powerful family, but it's the Valerian family, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have... Every right to go to the king, which is what they did, and propose that he take their daughter. Yeah, super cringy, right? I mean, but magnificent performance by that young actress um, on that short scene where they're taking the walk with the king and and the daughter. Um, So that made so much sense, and it should make so much sense to the king, because it would do nothing but strengthen everything about it. So these, you know, uh, Corliss and uh, Reynas have, um, have that on their side. And so that's Corliss. Uh, and, and if I could just mention Rainus real quick, I find her a very interesting character too, because she seems that she has suffered the sexism of this patriarchy. Obviously, she was passed over to start all of this off as heir to the previous king, although she was the king's oldest descendant but because she's a female, she was passed over. But the, based on the scene between her and Ranera, it does not seem like she minds being a cog in that wheel. She seems to have accepted it. Either I'm misreading it, or this is who she is. She seems to have accepted this and is willing to basically navigate the waters that she's in. It struck me that she she was not a, um, a supporter of Ranera. You would like to see somebody in her position to say, "I'm going to support you, Renera. I'm going to have your back." Looking for that unity, and she certainly is not that, is she?
1: No, I. And again, it it is the it's the story. It, it's back to Shakespeare, like it is. Everyone looking out for themselves. How do we better our position? And I can't believe they bypassed me in the first place. It's not fair. So I need to figure out the way that I can get there.
0: Yep. Yeah. It Shakespearean. I love it. It's true. It's absolutely true. So two episodes down, um, you said that it should be about 10 10 episodes. I
1: believe it's 10 episodes. And they come out every Sunday, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm in (laughs) and, and I love it. Like, this is so fun talking to you about it and, and bringing it up. And, you know, now we, we got peaks at the crab feeder. So we, we haven't even met this guy yet, you know, and and being from Maryland, being from Maryland, I was just like, Oh man, those look great. They're little, (laughs) but I mean, that could be, that could be fantastic, but I mean, were you thinking that
0: as they were crawling out of skulls and, uh, and eating the flesh off of
1: live people, Hey man, when they're on the beach, they're on the beach, <laughs> get some, all all right. bay, get some old Bay and some dragon fire ready. And we're going to have a, a good old boil, bring some, uh, corn on the cob to throw in there. And with the amount of crabs that were
0: on, on that beach, boy, you're going to be eaten really well. <laughs> really really well um we have a couple more minutes and i i can't thank you enough for being on this episode to talk about this show and i'm looking forward to to what what we have to come uh it's it's going to be a nice you know it's going to be nice to watch while we're waiting for episodes of she hulk and uh, and uh, inevitably Andor to come out and wow three d- different kinds of shows could you get more different i'm Amazing. i'm um i'm channeling my inner chandler being by saying that could you get more different um but I did want to ask you, before, before I let you go, we, and we do have a couple minutes, uh, you recently went to go see a couple of movies in IMAX, and I wanted to hear uh, just a little bit about your experience with that, because the first one that I wanted to ask you about is E.T. in IMAX, and then just, uh, what was it, this past weekend, you went to go see Rogue One. What was it like seeing those two classic movies on that massive screen?
1: Yeah, it is, so it's, it's the biggest screen in Indiana and it is at the uh, Indiana state museum downtown here in Indianapolis. And so fortunate to live, you know, I, I want to say 10 miles from it. Mm-hmm. So they bring in so many great films and the 501st was there the other night for, for rogue one. So, you know, just having that extra element that they, that they try to bring into it. It's a great theater experience, but back to ET, I, I hadn't, I saw ET in the theater one time, you mm-hmm. know, and it was like opening weekend when that came out. So it just like, you know, I've seen it since, but I pay so much more attention when I'm in a theater, yeah. you know, Yeah. and being able to watch it and the timing of it coming out now um, with all the ILM stuff on Disney plus as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Just made it that much more special to be able to see, the special effects coming through and on this massive screen with unbelievable audio. And it was, you know, it was magical, you know, and awesome. Monica went with me and, you know, she was just like, yep, I can't believe I cried during that. She's like, you <laughs> know, before here's this and that, but it, it, it was this just super powerful experience um, and getting up, up close and personal with it. And I'm, I mean, I'm honestly going to try and go see Rogue One again before it's out. Nice. Uh, before, before it leaves this IMAX theater because it's so different. And That's great. And because Rogue One is such an epic film experience. Yeah. That getting it in that type of theater in that type of surrounding and people that go to that theater as well, for the most part, it's almost like going to see a movie in L.A. Like you're very fortunate yeah. in this regard where so many people in the industry are out there. Yeah. When a movie is on, there's a greater deal of respect that comes through. So I, I learned that when I moved to LA to work out there for a few years, I was just like, there's no place better to see a movie because everyone cares about it. And they'll watch the credits they'll watch. Yeah. It's like, it's beautiful. And this is one of the theaters around the country. One of the only theaters around the country where I feel like there is that respect for the film and for everyone that was involved with it. And it's, it's, it's special. So I feel so fortunate that I got to see both of those. We've got tickets for the new uh, David Bowie documentary
0: that's Mm
1: -hmm. coming out next month. Um, So as soon as stuff comes in there, I'm always paying attention to like, okay, what's next?
0: Yeah. Well, I am so glad that you were able to see both of those films and so happy for you that you got that experience cuz there really is you know as as much as i love streaming services and and being able to watch so many things at the at the touch of a button um, i i still don't think there's anything like going to see a movie in a theater with the sound and the dark surroundings and just being encompassed and especially i've never seen a movie in an imax theater but even with regular size screens you're immersed and i can only imagine it's so much more so um with an imax screen so someday one of these days i'll go out and check that out but I, I'm, I'm i was so thrilled when i when you know i saw on twitter that you were going to these things so because it is, it's just so much fun to go see, see these things. So, again, um, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk about the House of the Dragon and also share your thoughts on that experience. Um, and thanks again for sending me that text message, right? Uh, house of the Dragon, question mark, here. Now, I, feel, I saw a Steven Spielberg quote, and I can't remember where I saw it from, but he mentioned seeing a movie and it was like finding out there was a new room in your house. And you're like, wait a minute, I can go in there? So now I sort of feel like that about House of the Dragon. This is a brand new room in fandom. And I get to go in there and and play in this new room. Uh, And, you know, I'm not sure that would happen if you hadn't sent that text message. So I appreciate it. Um, Where, just to remind people, where can people reach out and say hi to
1: you on the internet? Yeah, if you're looking on Twitter, it's at Ross Holobin, R-O-S-S-H-O-L-L-E-B-O-N. Um, and Instagram, it's primarily Star Wars posts is at pop Star indie. And, yet, and you can find primarily. articles on Phantatracks, Uh so I do some stuff there. And really looking forward to to doing the episode recaps with, with a with a large group of people from the Tracks family once uh once Andor gets cooking.
0: Oh, yes. And looking forward, I'm looking forward to, to reading that because you always deliver. So, well, you certainly delivered here, sir. And I can't, I can't thank you enough, as always, for taking your time coming on the show. I love chatting with you. You're my good friend. And, and it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, to talk about these these cool things and and i appreciate you coming on the show and i appreciate everybody that's out there listening to the show uh what did you think about house of the dragon let me know uh send me a tweet a text an email or anything anything like that i'd love to hear what you guys have to think about house House of the dragon and thanks again as always for listening to this episode of the colby cast you can find the colby cast on twitter and instagram at the colby cast if you're wordy, like me, you can send an email to Colbycast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show and leave a review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is not endorsed by anyone or anything, for that matter. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of The Colby Cast, unless otherwise indicated.
1: That'll do, don't
0: That'll do.